You create your life with the stories you tell yourself. Want more fun, love, and money? Then write your new story and live into it. Louis DiBianco's podcast, Change Your Story, Change Your Life, shows you how to discover your empowering story. You'll meet many successful people who have created magnificent lives, even when the odds were stacked against them. Plus, you'll learn the secrets of great storytelling that can explode your business. And now, here is your host, Louis DiBianco. What do SWAT teams, business startups, and sustainable farms have in common? Nothing, if you have an aversion to risk. On the other hand, if you live into a story that invites adventure and risk, they have a lot in common. Hey, hello, storytellers, and welcome to another episode of Change Your Story, Change Your Life. I'm your host, Louis DiBianco. We're fortunate that our host, Audible, is enriching lives. They are offering you, our storytellers, a free audiobook download of your choice, plus a one-month free trial of all of Audible's service, and you get to choose from more than 180,000 titles. Simply go to www.audibletrial.com forward slash story power and take advantage of this wonderful gift. Remember that this show is enriched by our dialogue with you. So keep your comments and inspired thoughts coming. Send them to Lewis, L-O-U-I-S, at changeyourstorypodcast.com. Today's guest is an entrepreneur who has made friends with risk. His career began as a logistics officer for a SWAT team. That led him to start a company called Fulcrum Tactical as a charity and develop it into a profitable enterprise in 18 months. His next leap was investing in startups and also creating Fulcrum Farms, a sustainable farm producing high-quality meat and eggs for families and restaurants in the Chicago land area. Today, he invests in startups full-time with his company, Fulcrum Investing. During his free time, he co-hosts a podcast called The State of Logic. I am excited and honored to introduce the multi-talented Kevin Van Eckeren to our show. Kevin, welcome to Change Your Story, Change Your Life. Thank you so much for having me on. It is an absolute pleasure. Let's have some fun. Where were you born, Kevin? I was born in the Chicagoland area. And... um, do you like Chicago? I do like Chicago. I don't necessarily agree with its politics, but I really like the people. Uh, it's it's a very good blend of uh, fast-paced enough, so it's not like New York City where everyone is running everywhere, but at the same time, it's not ultra-slow-paced like the West Coast, so I kind of like that mix. I'm attracted to Chicago because it's so rich in culture, and it's a major theater scene in the United States. It is. It is. We have the Lyric Opera and uh, Shakespeare Theater and many others. Well, David Mamet comes from there. Yes. Now, uh, among uh, many others, like uh, John Malkovich from the um, Steppenwolf Company. Now, you know, 
I have not actually heard the expression Chicago land. Now, is that a particular area? Can you clarify that for me? Of course. So basically that includes the Chicago, Chicago, the city, and then all its suburbs. Ah, okay. So all said and done, that covers about, I think it's 10 times the square footage of Chicago. Hmm, okay. Did you come from a big family, Kevin? Uh, Yeah, I have three brothers and sisters, so um, I, I I was raised in a a family with a bunch of other people, um, but I was also late to the party by 13 years. So mm-hmm. that provides a, a unique twist. I'm just curious, you know, in families, um, uh, is are your brothers and sisters entrepreneurial like you, or are they not? No, they're not. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it, I, I find it interesting, but I'm the only one in my in my current family to have started a business. Ah. Uh. You know what? It's not surprising. There's usually room for one. <laughs> you know? Sure. And I also think that you have to go through some really hard times to be a great entrepreneur. You have to have had struggle and, and been okay with struggle mm-hmm. in order to, to put yourself voluntarily through that again. Yeah, and be okay with what people consider failure. Yes, exactly. Now, who would you say influenced you the most when you were a child? Um, my, there's two people. It's my mom and my dad. Um, my dad, because he was absolutely brilliant, he taught me a great work ethic and how to uh, treat people with respect and dignity. Um, and my mom, because she is brilliant in her own right and taught me very much the the antithesis of how to manage money and how to just in general be a good person. And I think all those traits translate over into being a, a good um, entrepreneur and a good boss. Mm-hmm. You said your dad was brilliant. What kind of work did he do? Uh, he, um, he was an entrepreneur himself. So he, you know, he, he uh, I'm going to have to stop you there. I didn't know you you're going to go here. Um, I can't talk about that. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, the, the, so the, I apologize. Uh, the The reason for it is that's my family company, um, but I can't, t- I can't talk about my family company because then I, I could represent their thoughts, and that mm-hmm. is not something I'm trying to do. Okay, that's cool. Sorry about that. No, don't be sorry. That's actually interesting, you know? <laughs> It's fine. I didn't know I was going to go there either. I uh, <laughs> I just go spontaneously with what's happening in the conversation. I love it. I love it. Now, did you have a, uh, a young boy's dream of what you wanted to be as a grown-up? I did, and I, I was always, in one way or another, running my own business. Hmm. Why, um, do, you think, actually... as, why do you think as a young kid you, you felt that way? Well, I think that um, I was inspired by people in my life to understand that you don't have to work for someone. You can work for yourself. Uh, and I've also, I have a 900-page um, binder at this point filled with business ideas that I've been writing since I was eight years old. Whoa. So 
it's always and, and by the way, I fully understand that 99.999% of those are terrible ideas. But it's it's the practice of instead of letting it just sit in your head and then go away and you forget about it, write it down and maybe you can come back to it later and improve upon it. And that's where I started understanding, wait, I can do this. I love that. Um, and I, I totally get it, even though I don't write down everything very often in the course of a day, I do get ideas that I, I, I'm very excited about. And I know if I wanted to focus on any one of them, that I could develop it into something special. So that is really a wonderful practice, a wonderful discipline. Now, what major obstacles did you overcome to create the success that you enjoy today? I think the biggest struggle for me was finding the right people. Both the, the, the right people that are capable of doing the job I needed them to do, but also the right cultural fit. And so, so to give an example of that, um, if you think about Jack Sparrow, for example, running a pirate ship, I'm stealing this from someone else who was actually on my podcast, you can argue that that's actually a great culture because everyone is on the same page. Everyone understands where everyone else stands, and they're all working toward a common goal. Um, so it doesn't necessarily mean that it has to be the perfect situation. It just means you need the right people with the right drive and the right intellect to be able to execute on their job. Mm. I like that. That's applicable to many different, uh, enterprises. Um, Absolutely. I'm in network marketing myself. So when I hear that, it really, really resonates with me. That is very, very interesting. Now, what? A, and I also get that that would be a big obstacle because you've got to do a lot of um, diligent searching. And, um, you know, it's almost like sifting for gold. You know, you're going to find a lot that isn't gold before you find that nugget. Sure. And um, it takes a a vision and determination to follow through with it. Now, what attracted you to, I'll call it the world of law enforcement and to, to SWAT? Well, in, in school, I took Criminal Justice 101 just on a whim, wanted to see what it was about. And I did my first ride along and I kind of fell in love with it. I, I, I grew up in a um, middle class neighborhood where crime really was not an issue. And I, realized from that ride along and and 10,000 hours of ride alongs after that over the next six years or eight eight years that um that i i finally understood what the real world was like and i think that's important for everyone to understand you can't live in your socioeconomic bubble you have to understand what other people experience so that you can have empathy for them Mm -hmm. was it also a sense of adventure that attracted you there, there was a sense of adventure, absolutely. I mean, anytime you, uh, you get to, you know, chase someone at 110 miles an hour, or, you know, whatever, it, whatever it may be, uh, there is certainly that adrenaline junkie in me. But that's also why I raced cars. That's why I was just a stupid teenager, right? I mean, <laughs> we we all like that when we're young, especially. You race cars now? I used to, not anymore. Hmm. Now, there was something intriguing that I read in the um, in your bio, 
And it led me to this question, of course, how is SWAT a deterrent to using force for national security? Absolutely. So the the entire concept of SWAT is to bring an overwhelming and scary force to a situation in hopes that, that the, the suspect that is threatening to or attempting to do harm will no longer do harm. But those officers also have to be prepared to use force if absolutely necessary. The way SWAT and, and many law enforcement agencies um, prevent violence is to use speed, surprise, and violence of action. And so the speed part of it, that's why we often knock doors down. We don't just politely knock. Uh, the um, violence of action is us coming in, pointing guns, screaming, throwing flash grenades, these kinds of things. These are all deterrence to violence because it's called the OODA loop. You get inside someone's reactionary space where they don't know how to react to a very stressful situation. 99 times out of 100, they give up. And mm. that saves lives. Wow. I never knew that. That's fascinating. So it's called a what loop? OODA loop. OODA loop. How do you spell it? I, you know what? I should know because I ran a company that trained SWAT teams for, for six years, but I don't know off the top of my head. Basically, it's an acronym to talk about getting inside someone's reactionary time. So the, wow. the hope is that you can provide so much stress that instead of reacting violently, they give up. Wow. That is really, really fascinating. So as a logistics uh, officer for SWAT, what exactly did you do? So every logistics officer has their own job. And my given job was to professionalize the SWAT team, which is much like herding cats. Um, so I first got them the equipment they needed. Uh, that included an armored vehicle because, you know, they need to be able to stop bullets. Um, and I got them the uh, body armor they needed and that kind of thing. Once I had done that, I still saw people doing things that I would not consider overly bright, that weren't good ideas. And it's not because they're not intelligent people. They're very intelligent people. But they were not trained properly to use the equipment. So then I got them trained. And that ultimately ended up saving lives just a few weeks later. Mm. And that's when I realized training, not equipment, is the best way of going about helping SWAT teams nationwide. That is, that, that, that's quite wonderful. It must have been very rewarding as well to, to see the, the result. Now, it really was. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, <laughs> saving lives, it's not a small thing. Now, I'm fascinated. How did you discover the relationship between investing and SWAT? So there's two relationships there. One is uh, in investing you have to be able to work with all sorts of people. And entrepreneurs are typically rather arrogant and, and uh, kind of stubborn and often require uh, repeated exposure to good ideas before they'll actually take them in. Cops are much the same way. So I was already used to that personality. Then uh, the other thing that is a corollary is that I ran a company after um, 
after my time on a SWAT team, training cops. And I learned from that that I'm not a trainer, but I'm still able to run this company. So that means that I can apply this skill set, this business skill set, to any business. And as long as the CEO of that business is an expert in that field, I can be helpful. Wow. It's interesting that you had the uh, imagination to make that connection. What is the empowering mindset or story that you learned as a SWAT logistics officer? Um, the, the, I think the, the, the story that really sticks out from my time in SWAT was one of the first experiences I had. Um, we're called to a barricaded gunman. That is a gunman that uh, is alone in a house. Uh, and so this individual had been chased from a crime scene. Uh, he was armed. He ran into the house. The police surrounded it, and then they call SWAT. So we get there. I happen to have my all-black German Shepherd in the car. She's not a police dog. And um, we go do our business. About an hour into this, and they typically take a few hours, uh, I take my dog out of the car, let her get some water, go to the bathroom, put her back. This seems completely innocuous at the time. Um, turned out, after six hours of running our protocols, uh, he wasn't in the house. And he must have slipped out the back before we got there. So we don't think much of it. We go home. That night I flip on the news and a TV reporter has a camera on me as I take the dog out of the car. And she says, we have reports from inside the police department stating that there is a hostage situation and there is explosives. And that's why they brought in the bomb dog. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. This is, this is so untrue. What's going on? So I call the nightly news manager takes about a half an hour and I get a hold of him and I tell him like look I, I'm on that SWAT team that didn't happen you need to like print a retraction or something and he literally laughed and hung up and that's when I realized well wait the media isn't out to tell us the truth maybe it's all about getting eyeballs so they can make money and that's when I realized that starting my podcast is something I eventually wanted to do because that's the entire concept of it, of the state of logic, is to ask our audience to listen and, you know, gain a different point of view, but then go do your research before you come to your own informed conclusions. So that led you to feeling empowered. Absolutely. Hmm. Great journey. Great journey and a great story. Now, what attracted you to investing, of all things, in startups? I really like working with startups. Once a company becomes a certain size, uh, it becomes more political. Um, you can't help but have people in that organization that maybe aren't the best people. And, and I just don't like that. I like working with small groups of people who are so driven and they just absolutely love, they eat and breathe that business. And that inspires me every day to work harder. So that's why I like it so much. And but it also presents um, more risk than, of course, a company that's more well-established. It does, absolutely, yeah. but it also presents more reward. What's the biggest mistake that most startups make? Uh, it's called the ugly baby syndrome. Um, <laughs> and basically, this name came from, I was, I was on Facebook a while back, and someone posted a picture of, their newborn daughter, and I questioned whether there was a newborn daughter or a newly discovered alien race. And, mm. I, and then it occurred to me that 
startups are just like babies. We create them, we pour a ton of energy, time, and money into them in hopes that they will become amazingly successful businesses or people. And that's when I realized that people that have ugly babies don't really know they have ugly babies. No one's going to tell them that, right? And nor should anyone tell them that, I suppose. But in business, it's it's important that you are honest with people because if someone, for example, in 2017 comes to me and says, I want to start a newspaper that we deliver to your house on a daily basis, I'm going to tell you that's a bad idea. Please don't pour your life savings into this. I don't want to see you fail. Um, and so while I don't have all the answers, it is our job as investors to be very real with people. And if an idea is not worth the, the time and money it's going to take to make it uh, successful, or if it just is impossible to make it successful, it's our job to inform them of that. And they don't always like it, but I would rather do that and have my conscience clear than to go down the road of worrying that someone is going to blow their life savings on something that isn't going to work. And so the big mistake is that many of them do that. They'll just go ahead. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Now, what is it that intrigues you most just about investing, period? I, I think it's it's so interesting to me because, as I said, I get to work with amazing startups. But it's also, a, I can't really stay focused on one thing day after day, week after week, year after year. Um, even when I was doing the SWAT uh, training company and CEO of that, I was also the CEO of two other companies at the same time. I just don't have the ability to work on just one thing. And this kind of satisfies my curiosity to learn about IoT technology and fashion and and um, business startups and all these other things that that I would have never even gotten to learn about. So mm. it, it kind of satisfi- satisfies that multi-pronged thought process that I have. Mm-hmm. Would you say there's a connection between the adrenaline rush of SWAT work and investing? They are both very high-risk ventures, absolutely. <laughs> uh, there's also a it, – it's interesting. Everyone uh, thinks of them both as very high-risk. And actually, I would argue that SWAT work is one of the safest things you can do as a police officer because you have – 70 of your friends behind you and around you to back you up in that situation. Um, And similarly, most people think that investing in startups is a very risky thing. But as we've seen over the past few decades, there is now statistical analysis to figure out as long as you put enough time and effort and money into it, you will be successful. You know, but that's a great answer. I'm sure that there are people who don't have a tolerance for risk, who could just not even begin to embrace that. But that's that's wonderful that, that you do. Now, how did you transition into the area of sustainable farming? Well, it, it was not so much a transition as a deto- my way to detox from working too much. So as I said, when I was running Fulcrum Tactical, I was also the CEO of two other companies. And so it was, I was working way too much. And I realized that I needed something to relax, and I already had an investment in property. And so I just said, well, I have property. Why not get a few chickens? And that, those eggs somehow got to a few restaurant owners. I don't know how. And then they contacted me and asked for more. And, and six years later, we have hundreds of animals. 
<laughs> wow. Now, tell us about the philosophy behind Fulcrum Tactical and Fulcrum Farms, and maybe explain a little more about Fulcrum Tactical. Sure. So Fulcrum Tactical was a charity for the first 18 months um, to train SWAT teams nationwide for free. And often what we did was just have the training officers, those officers that were the most well-trained, they would send those to, them to us, and we would put together between 60 and 100 people in a class with 20 different instructors or 10 different instructors and put them through that class in a given week. Then we realized that the government was going to start funding us, so we went for profit in 30 days, and we started taking government contracts, and then we started traveling two SWAT teams nationwide. And our philosophy was stress inoculation. That is to, to put people through a realistic enough situation where it makes their adrenaline spike. And by doing that over and over again, they start to retain uh, minor motor control, like on their trigger finger, like uh, opening a door without um, pulling too hard, because it might be booby-trapped or whatever it is. Um, they start to, to retain those those minor motor movements and they start to be able to think more critically in that moment which at the end of the day your mind is what saves your life not your body oh yeah yeah now what about the philosophy behind the fulcrum farming so fulcrum farms started out as just a hobby farm and it's still i would i would classify it as uh kind of in between a hobby farm and a full production farm in the sense that our animals are given uh, far more space and far better living conditions than any other farm I've ever been on. But that is also to say that it will never make money. <laughs> uh, you can't do both. And there, we've also found that things like um, labels uh, on eggs and meat and vegetables for organic and all that really isn't all that much different from the stuff you buy anywhere else. And so... There's no real classification for how we raise our animals. So all we do is ask people to come and visit. We'll show them around and they'll see that the animals are kept in amazing conditions. And then hopefully they'll be willing to pay that higher price. Hmm. So you've discovered that even the organic labels are misleading. Oh, absolutely. Especially in eggs. What would the lie be? Well, um, or people think that because it says organic... They're picturing a chicken happily running through a field with all of his friends. And in reality, organic chickens uh, are kept in the or, or, organic egg-laying chickens are kept in the same conditions as cage-free. The only difference being that they're not fed uh, GMO feed, uh, genetically modified food. And in my opinion, and obviously this is just my opinion. I have yet to find any evidence that GMO is bad for you. So the the concept of just eliminating that and broad-spectrum antibiotics, that is to say it's integrated in their food, and all of a sudden that chicken is living an amazing life, they still only get one square foot per bird. They're still keeping two, three million birds in a house. They're still kind of deplorable conditions. It's just that what is going? What is coming out of in the egg doesn't have GMO or a, a larger amount of antibiotics. 
but they're still allowed to give antibiotics. And hmm. the worst part about it is they're still allowed to uh, cycle the lights, which means that a chicken will lay an egg for every time you turn the lights on and off. Hmm. And so now they're getting chickens lay three eggs a day instead of one. And that means that the nutritional value of that egg is almost zero. Wow. It's interesting because you know, I'm with a health and wellness company and our um, a foundation of what we do is based on the fact that most of our foods are nutritionally bankrupt. And uh, we're, we have superfoods that provide the nutrients we're not getting from the foods we eat. The more I talk to people like yourself, the more that gets um, supported. Yeah. What, what is the passionate why that makes you jump out of bed and seize the day? I have three things that, that I really, really enjoy. One is having great conversations with people like you uh, and people on my podcast. That's actually one of my favorite things these days. The second thing is um, working, finding new ways to work with entrepreneurs to help them build a successful company. And the third is going out in the evenings and enjoying my time on the farm and playing with the goats and checking on all the animals and just kind of detoxing from the insanity of the day. Um, it, it provides a great balance for me personally, and I really enjoy it. Hmm. Uh, do you have a family? Are you married? I am happily divorced. <laughs> <laughs> do you have children? <laughs> no children. Okay. <laughs> Now, your, your, the podcast that you co-host is State of Logic. Tell us a little more about it. Sure. So the State of Logic came to us, Stephen and I, uh, my co-host, um, because of that, that story I told you about SWAT. It's that the media is, was not telling me the truth. And that really, maybe I was just naive. At 26, I didn't realize that the news was, was BS. And so maybe that's just me being being kind of dim, I don't know. But once I realized it, I started looking into the facts behind news stories. And then I started getting really worried because the facts that I'm finding on governmental websites and double checking, we're not lining up with what, what these people are saying. And I think that that kind of bias has only grown stronger in recent years in the media. And so the state of logic, the entire concept is to have intelligent, logical, yet entertaining conversations with brilliant people in hopes of altering someone's point of view. Not to say that they should believe what they listen to, but to ask them to go out and do their own research, come to their own informed conclusions, and that will make this country a better place. What kind of um, topics have you uh, featured on the show? Well, much like you, we have a very conversational podcast. So we just start talking, and uh, some of them are just funny, wonderful stories, and some of them are talking a lot about politics. We had uh, a woman named Susan Chamberlain on who worked for the Cato Institute for many years, and that was a brilliant conversation about uh, the lib libertarian movement and what it means. And and so we, we have a very diverse group of people on, but it, that's what makes it fun. You know, that's that's great. That, and it's an important thing for uh, 
to put into the world, especially today. It's interesting you said, you know, maybe you were just naive and you didn't realize that the news is um, not news. However, if you look at what's going on right now in the world, I'd say that many, many people in North America, maybe the whole world, still take the news at face value. They still think that most of it is not some exaggerated uh, point of view designed to entertain and shock, but that it's just objective fact, and we know that it isn't. Yes. You know? I th- sadly, I think you are 100% right. You know, and, and that goes for both sides. I mean, I can flip from Fox to CNN, and I will get just different forms of distortion. Yes. You and- know? There is no there is no party line that they don't cross when it comes to making stuff up. Mm-hmm. Well, I think you're familiar with that old adage that probably is still true in the world of news. If it bleeds, it leads. Yes. Yeah. Enough said. <laughs> now, Unfortunately, you, that is true. Yeah, I know. Where do you see yourself in five years? Well, uh, certainly hoping that uh, Fulcrum Investing has grown to be uh, even more successful. Um, I hope that my podcast will be something that um, hundreds of thousands of people listen to. And um, the farm will probably be the exact same. We're not looking to grow. We're just looking to do things the right way. Um, And I think that not constantly trying to expand and fighting that human condition to always push the limits. Um, you know, eventually you get to a place where pushing the limits is a bad thing. And I've had to learn that the hard way through my other business experiences. And so we've made a commitment to the animals to give them the best life possible. And so we're not going to expand. We're just going to keep it just like it is. It's fabulous. I'm still fascinated by the diversity, you know, uh, in a way it's, uh, hard to put together, not hard, but it's it's interesting to put together the image of somebody who's works on an aggressive enterprise like SWAT, and then is interested in you know um, farming that 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 provides the the best quality food. They just seem to be two different worlds, you know. <laughs> Absolutely, they they really are, and and as I said I am one of those people that I've I always have 10 different things going on in my head and so I just found the things that I had true passions for and I executed on them to the best of my ability so that I could enjoy them for for the rest of my life well uh, it's a tribute to you do you uh, you said that you're interested in advancing your podcast are you familiar with um, an event that's happening next week called podcast movement no. Okay, it's in Anaheim, California. Now, uh, many people will not be going to it live, but I will send you after the show a link for you to look at it because they're also providing a virtual pass to it. And they're going to have the people who are at the top of the food chain in the world of podcasting, 
discussing every topic from how to improve your podcast to how to monetize it, etc. Oh man, if I had only known about this sooner, I would have made plans to go because that would have been amazing. Well, you know, if you're the kind of guy who just picks up at the last minute, you still can. The tickets are available, but I'll send you the information and you could just, um, uh, you know, take it from there. And it, at the very least, you could have the virtual pass, which will give you access, apparently, not only to all of the live events, but additional stuff that will only be available to the people who are watching it online. Very cool. Yeah. I definitely look forward to that. Thank you. Absolutely. What is your favorite book? My favorite book is The Hard Thing About Hard Things. Hmm. And I think it's really a story about the loneliness of being a CEO. Who wrote that? Uh, that was, oh, God, you're, I'm blanking out. Well, He's my, a famous investor. My friend Google will tell me. It's exactly. Not, it's, it's not Warren Buffett, is it? No. No. How about a favorite quote, Kevin? Ben Horowitz wrote it. The book, yeah? Yes. What about a favorite quote? There's a quote by Benjamin Franklin that says, the business of America is business and we should be proud of it. Hmm. And that really stood out to me. I like that. And it's simple and to the point. Yes. Good old Ben. Also, Benjamin Franklin is one of my favorite people in the in all of history. He inspires a lot of people. I mean, there's been so much in the world of personal development that's been uh, developed around the thinking and the insights from Mr. Ben Franklin. Yes, absolutely. So, Kevin, if you could wave a magic wand and change one thing in the world, what would it be? Oh dear Lord, that's a that's a, a rather loaded question. <laughs> I would bring self, ultimate self awareness to the entire world. That is to say that as humans, of course, we are self aware, as we are discovering other animals are. But through hard work and self exploration, you can become far more self aware, and therefore you become a better person. And if we could bring that to the entire world. We would end hunger, poverty, war, crime, and many other things. I agree. Made me think of another uh, individual that you may be aware of, uh, Peter Diamandis. I do not know him. He has a book I think you will love. It's called Bold. Bold, okay. Uh, yeah, Bold, How to Go Big, Create Wealth, and Impact the World. He is a futurist. He has a, a school called Singularity University. Uh, it attracts very high-powered and highly successful entrepreneurs. And he's working side-by-side -side with people like Elon Musk, Richard Branson, 
you know, lightweights like that. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. And they're interested in 10x thinking. It's, it's a fascinating book. It really is. It, and it, it, it reads like science fiction, but it's not. It's science fact. How can people contact you? The best way to contact me is on the State of Logic website. Um, we have a comment section there. The beauty of it is that both Stephen and I, my co-host, are investors. So whether it be a business question proposing a, a, a business for investment or you have uh, you know, ideas or questions about the podcast, all of that can be answered there. You can also email us at connect at thestateoflogic.com. So to get to the website, they would just go to stateoflogic.com, right? Thestateoflogic.com, yes. Oh, the state, okay. And it's connect at thestateoflogic.com? Yes, that's our email address. Okay. Who would be the your ideal client, let's say a person who was the kind of person who might be thinking of doing a startup who would approach you and you could help? Well, I, I invest in people, not ideas. So that person should be uh, not all that patient, very, very driven, um, usually uh, an introvert or uh, right on the line of being somewhat of, a, somewhat of an extrovert, though that is not as necessary, and uh, someone that, that has the, a grand vision. Um, and then we invest from seed to series B. So that is to say it could be that you've just launched your company and you have just a few thousand dollars in revenue all the way through to you are profitable and killing it and raising your third round. Hmm. I like one thing you said. It uh, took me by surprise that the person should is not very patient. Absolutely. So um, the, there are these the, – we do a lot of psychological profiling when we look at our invest, uh, investments because, again, we are investing in the team because the team is the ultimate lifeblood of a business. At the end of the day, a product or a service may change drastically, but a team hopefully won't. And so uh, patience is one of those things where uh, that's worrisome because if I were to, for example, start a laundromat and it was just – I didn't take any investment. It was just a one-man laundromat. Having patience – to start a business like that is not only commendable, but it's a good skill to, it's a good uh, trait to have. However, I need my ten, my money, I, I need my investment to produce 10x or more in five to seven years. That means they can't have patience. They need to have their foot on the gas all the time. And then it should be my job to say, let's back off a little bit. Let's be a little bit more patient. It's an interesting take on things. Thank you for that. What about final thoughts for our storytellers today? I think the final thought that I want to leave everyone with is that it's so important that you take the time to listen to a great podcast like this because it expands your mind. And constantly working on yourself to be a better person every day will ultimately lead to success in your life, whatever you think that is, whether it is personal happiness or financial stability or whatever, constantly exploring yourself will will eventually lead to that. I agree with you 150%. And by the way, I didn't ask you, but did you invest in your own uh, formal personal development training? Yes. Seven years of therapy. Seven years of what? <laughs> 
therapy. Uh, okay, yeah, th that would qualify. How about uh, actual training with some of the thought leaders like Anthony Robbins, etc.? No, um, I have been fortunate enough to have access for free to a lot of amazing people. And uh, I, I joke because the average age of my friends is probably around 50, and yet I'm only 35. Um, so I've had some amazing mentors where I didn't have to invest anything but time and energy. Have any of the thought leaders attracted you at least uh, and said, you know what, there's something intriguing about their message and I, want, I might explore it at some point? You know, I, I watched the documentary on Tony Robbins mm -hmm. and I was blown away. I mean, that is a emotional and amazing documentary. Um, I am one of the, the, the these people that tend to um, enjoy talking to those kind of people, but I'm very, very skeptical at the same time, and I don't know why. That's the reason you should do it. Sure. Really. Uh, by the way, last weekend, in fact, today is Thursday, it was last Wednesday, uh, I spent four and a half hours in the presence of Tony Robbins. Oh, very cool. Yeah. He was a keynote How did speaker. that go? Oh, well, not me alone. I was with 15,000 people. Sure. It was at an event for the network marketing company I'm with, and they hired him to be our final keynote speaker. And it was, uh, I've experienced him before. He's the real deal. I don't know if people recognize just how many people he has influenced directly through his work. Uh, he's worked one-on-one -on -one with Andre Agassi when Agassi had gone into a slump and took him back so that he was a master of his game. He worked with President Bill Clinton, mm -hmm. with Gorbachev, with Hugh Jackman, with um, Anthony Hopkins, uh, even Mother Teresa. That's amazing. Uh, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. He, I mean, the guy really is. You know, I understand the skepticism because we've been trained to think in terms of a whole different approach. And what he presents seems like it can't be that quick and that easy. Well, you got to experience it to see what, the, what he's actually doing and what he can make you feel. It's, uh, yeah, it's very, very powerful. I saw that documentary you're talking about, too. Uh, uh, Tony Robbins, I'm Not Your Guru. I really recommend that to people. It's on Netflix. It's very, very good. Kevin, this has been a lot of fun and uh, valuable. Thank you so much for your contribution today to my storytellers. Thank you so much for having me on. It was an absolute pleasure. I love having great conversations with people like you. Thank you, Kevin. I received that. And thank you once again, storytellers, for spending time today with me and Kevin, a unique guest, a person who truly thinks outside of the box. Let people know that they can enjoy this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, and at the website changeyourstorypodcast.com. And as always, remember that you have a free gift waiting for you at that website, a downloadable ebook 
that I created for you called Storytelling Secrets for a Rich Life and Business. You heard me once again highly praise the book Bold, How to Go Big, Create Wealth, and Impact the World by Peter Diamandis and Stephen Cutler. You'll hear me say that many, many times on future podcasts. I can't emphasize how important and how compelling this book is. It will change your view of the world and expand your mind and enrich you in ways that you can't even begin to imagine. And the beauty of this is that you, as a listener to this show, can download the audio version of this book for free by simply going to www.audibletrial.com forward slash story power. And at the same time, you'll have access for one entire month to all of Audible's service. And as always, send your comments, your takeaways to Lewis. L-O-U-I-S, at changeyourstorypodcast.com. This week, I would like you to think about the fact that you heard a person who changed his definition of who he was numerous times during his lifetime, and also a guy who used his imagination to link different aspects of who he is to creating these definitions. Think about your own life. Think about perhaps roles that you are playing that maybe you're done with, but you don't see a way to create a new role. Stop, take a deep breath, and say, what unique gifts do I have? What passions do I have? What things Am I particularly excited about that help me to do what I'm doing now that can be reapplied into a reinvention of who I am? Begin by asking, how can I change my story and change my life? Tune in to the next episode of Louis DiBianco's podcast. Become unstoppable as you learn to change your story, change your life.